10 times colder, but it is big. Yeah. It's nice. We got a Way nice bigger. little view here. Way bigger. Yeah, I tried to give you that. That's like the old le- leisure chair, the leather. It's like a little lounge in here. It is like a lounge. It's like a fireside chat. Dude. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we, we, we do those on the back of the bus, but this is more... Uh, this yeah. is way more comfortable. Yeah, more leisurely. You can stretch your fucking legs out. Yeah, it's, sometimes it gets a little little tight. You're on a top bunk. I, I'm on a top bunk. How do you like that top bunk life? Top bunk kind of sucks, too. I love it. Really? Yeah, I don't like... I don't want anything above above me. I think it freaks me out. I mean, that's a legitimate angle. So, But my first time on the bus, I rode bottom bunk. Oh, so you got spoiled. And Yeah, and I had no idea I was getting spoiled. And I slept like a baby, right? Just the vibrations and shit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's normally true. I have like a noise generator and shit on in the bedroom. And because uh, I got used to like one summer, it was hot as balls. And we always slept with a fan on in the window. I love that. And it was like, and then I had to have some noise. And then we got bulldogs and the English bulldogs snore like a fucking 400 pound <laughs> fat man in the bed next to you. So like we got to where we always had noise generators on and shit. So the bus on the bottom bunk was just like. You know, like the noise of the road, right? Yeah, and yeah, like soothe, you're not soothe. getting thrown around a bunch and shit, and then That's got true. thrown on top bunk on the first part of leg nice. one, and haven't been sleeping nearly as well. Yeah, you do bounce. You bounce a, a lot more. more. You seem to sway around a bit more. And yeah. I said well, something the, about it, and like yeah. Warren was like, "Oh yeah, dude, top bunk's a little rough." It, it, well, also the the fall is tremendously larger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never fallen, but I do, I just have this thing against not against, but something too many two people, especially above me, freaks me out. I think I get more claustrophobic. I can see that. It's very claustrophobic no matter what, though. And I do have a, like, I tend to, like, find myself pushed up against the wall yeah. part of it. And I think it's because probably mentally I'm a little bit petrified. I also, yeah, don't want to fall out. out. Yes, I, I yeah. creep up in that corner, dude. <laughs> I don't blame you, dude. No one wants a broken ankle. I've seen, I saw a five-foot girl, PA on a third bunk, hurt her ankle jumping out of that shit. Yeah, and you're up there, dude. Like, it's like a spider true. climb to get up and stuff. It's definitely a little, it's something. Yeah, especially if you've been smoking or drinking a bunch and you got to get out that thing and you're... And the whole first leg, I was drunk, dude. Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, inebriated voice is my guest today. It's my man, Dave Bonvillain. He's um, he's a dude with a very unique story, and, and it's cool to to have it up here. He's, he's a CEO, engineer, consultant, mastermind behind uh, a lot of... A lot of companies in the cannabis business, elite cannabis, elite medicinals. Um, yeah, elite botanicals. botanicals uh, Chiba Chews. You worked with Chiba Chews. Yeah, we work a lot with Chiba Chews, Incredibles, Edibles, uh, Mary's. Mary's Medicinals, Mary's Nutritionals. Uh, work with IC Collective out of California, Bezel Extracts out of California. This guy's got his hands on um, the pot. So, yeah, and we've been out running around the cannabis industry since 2009 as consultants and then since 2014 kind of officially out of, went out of Colorado too all, all of them Colorado yeah. and Cali California yeah of course yeah and then we are the consulting side we work in Connecticut and then we helped a bunch of other folks get licensed in Why other states I think it was one of the first east coast uh, uh, states to license and so they had invited us in through a doctor buddy of mine that kind of got me into the industry officially um he was in as their medical advisor and they needed cultivation and oh. licensing con- Help, right so i came in as a consultant and um i came out of a space of information security and computer science and shit like that so i knew um a bunch on the regulatory control side and how to build you know basically proposals or you know respond to requests from regulatory bodies on how to you know build compensating controls or be able to have things in place that would meet their specific requirements and so i mapped that shit over to the cannabis industry because i'd been a grower for a long time and so i was able to get licensed for those guys and then we came out 
for like six months and helped them get ramped up as they were designing the facility and designing their lab space and then you brought them all their genetics all. and yeah, yeah brought one of our growers out and helped you know get all their baseline kind of standard operating procedures done and then that translated into helping a group in illinois and then helping a group in florida and then helping a group in maryland and that's um, all like a group in pennsylvania primary that's cons- consult consulting yeah and that's all on like the licensing side right so all these east coast states versus kind of the more free market side that we have on the western side of the u.s they're super restricted models where you only have um you know a handful of folks that get licensed um a lot of times those licenses are done through like a points-based system where you have um you know a whole shit ton of people trying to get a license for cultivation or it'll be just for manufacturing or just for the dispensary part of or depending on how they built their system and and sometimes it's in a you know strictly medical market with yeah. that has very limited conditions sometimes it's in a much broader market where there's a lot of conditions that would qualify and so a lot of people actually end up getting licenses some states like maryland have some level of reciprocity with other states that if you have a medical license in another state and you go to maryland you can get a license very readily Basically, you just pay the fee, and then you have a, a license to be able to go to a dispensary in their state. Um, so there's certain markets that are much more open and a, more attractive. And then there's others like Florida, which they only allowed five licensees, one for each of these sort of quadrants that they made in the state. But everybody looked at Florida as a gold mine because they knew that if you could be on one of the first levels of licensees, even though it was super expensive and very restrictive, that as they opened it up, the first yeah. people to get licensed would be the folks already holding something, right? Yeah, so we started getting engaged early on to do that kind of shit, right? So, when you were, you were starting off as a as like a grower, and then when what kind of period in the, did you transition more into to like I don't know taking to the concentrates and edibles and 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 well, consulting? so um, that was so we had been I, I've been a grower since college in my early twenties and. And then we started off on more cultivation consulting around like 2009 when the industry was first starting to develop in Colorado while I was still doing other work for like a real job. And then um, 2014, we started focusing on the CBD side of the house, you know, at least officially as far as the company formation. 2013, we really started growing CBD and converting a lot of our gardens over to, to focus just on unique cannabinoids and what that could do to help sick kids and shit like that. And... It was really during that time that we started focusing on the organic chemistry side of it because ultimately the application of those unique cannabinoids into different product sets weren't really done from flowers. It wasn't, you know, about having dank nugs or being able to have something that we all smoked and enjoyed just recreationally. <clears throat> so you needed consistent dosing. You needed, you know, things at a certain level of purity. And we were one of the first folks in Colorado to figure out how the hemp laws were structured allowed us to grow high CBD marijuana plants and just grow them under industrial hemp regulations, which, and then extract the CBD and the other, you know, essential oils and but cannabinoids. You can grow a plant that has no THC in it? Well, very little THC. So, so the trick is, right, when they passed hemp laws, then we'll get a little bit botany scientific here. Let's quick. get scientific, baby. <laughs> You're making my podcast come off real uh, smart, by the way, so, Dave. So, Here's some water if you can. Um, so when you think about from a, if you were talking to like an ethnobotanist or a botanist about, you know, cannabis species and genomes and shit, right? There's, there's, you know, hemp and drug varieties and really hemp in our eyes, at least in the commoner's eyes is really talking about oil seed and fiber varieties, right? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of three, you know, classifications of the plant from a botany perspective. And it's really on the application of the plant itself, right? And so 
you have fiber varieties that grow really long stalks and those are what's used for paper and for textiles and all kinds of different shit. And then you have oilseed varieties, which are a lot like growing canola oil or anything else, right? You extract the hemp seed oil and it's full of omegas and it's, you know, you can use it for all different kinds of things as well. And there, and there's certain types of plants that throw a shitload of seed across massive acreage. And that's where hemp seed oil comes from. And then you have drug varieties and drug varieties are what we all Dang consume nugs. and what we think of as marijuana, right? Yeah. But then even within the drug variety classifications, there's four sp specific genotypes um, or, or chemotypes that are done. The, the chemotype is named because of the chemical makeup of the plant. And so there's type ones, twos, threes, and fours. Type ones being THC dominant plants. That's what we smoke. Type twos having a balanced CBD and THC ratio anywhere from like a one to one to like five to ones and shit, like anything kind of in that balanced ratio area is generally considered a type two. Type threes are CBD dominant plants. Type fours are propyl cannabinoid dominant, which is like a THCV or a CBDV. It's like a whole other classification. I've never even heard of that. So THCV is like a weight loss cannabinoid and shit. There's all what? kinds of promises. Wait a minute, yeah, yeah, wait like, a minute. Like dude. it's an appetite suppressant. So, some level? So, so if, so there's, it's it's known and shit, right? But it, like the THCV is common in the the real racy sativas from like, um, uh, from the African regions and from uh, East Asia and you know like the Thai varieties and that kind of thing that are known to be re like really racy and make people so it jacks your heart up. right up, which makes you lose the weight. Presumably. Well, it's just a it's an appetite suppressant more than it is you know. That's how what like, I need to smoke. Yeah, I was gonna say you know like when you're smoking and you get hungry as fuck, it's, I need it's to, the opposite I of that. Took it to a gym. I need to get to those racy ones, dude. Shit. <laughs> but anyway, so their type fours are propyls and stuff. They're they're not very common. They're harder to grow. They have really long growing seasons. So there's a whole shitload of reasons for their the, the lack of you know you seeing those around a lot. But there are like high THC varieties out there and shit. Anyway, point is is that the high CBD plants that everybody was wanting for medical applications are type three drug varieties, mm -hmm. right? And a type three drug variety basically only has anywhere from like 0.5% THC up to 1% THC, let's say. And while it's growing, it, it doesn't necessarily have all of the THC until its final maturity, right? And so when they passed hemp laws, and this has now happened in Vermont and, um, and in Kentucky, and I believe Tennessee is regulating it now, Wisconsin has a crop, New York has a crop, um, Oregon's blowing the fuck up, right? So Colorado was just the first ones to actually pass a hemp law that just classified hemp by the amount of THC that was in the plant. And that aligned with the 2014 Farm Bill that came out um, from Congress. And that also defined hemp for research purposes to that as only having 0.3% THC. <clears throat> so we had been growing high CBD ganja for a little while at that point, a la 2013 when we saw that the hemp laws had passed and it basically defined hemp not by species, right? So all the bullshit I was talking just a second ago on an oil seed or a fiber variety, it defined hemp by cannabinoid percentage. I was like, well, wait a second. Like we've been testing these plants all every week all the way through their growth cycle. And yeah, my best plants, while they're when they're done, they have like 23, 24, 25% CBD in them, but then they have like 1% THC, right? It's, it's not very much THC, but it's too much to be classified as hemp. But all the way up until like week four and a half or week five or week six, it, it you know, the, t the CBD was already at like 10% yeah. plus and my THC was only at 0.3. Oh, so I hit the Department of Ag and was like, dude, like, yes, this isn't a hemp hemp variety, but it's still below 0.3 all the way up into this day. And they were like, well, when are you going to crop it? And I was like, whoa, 
well, I'm going to crop it on this day. And they were like, yeah, that's hemp to us. And I'm like, no like, shit, that's right? That's a loophole. Right yeah, there. so, like, I hit up a bunch of my buddies, and I ended up speaking at, like, one of our congressmen, Jared Polis, is, has these, like, Colorado hemp conference type thing. Yeah, and so I spoke at some of his things, and, and there was, like, a hemp conference that's been going on for a few years now, and it's gotten really big, and I'd go up there and tell everybody, like, Guys, you know, we've been given the keys to grow every cannabinoid besides THC. So just focus on breeding other cannabinoids into these hemp. Yeah, because you can grow it by the fucking acre, right? And, like, the barriers to entry are way lower. And people need them for, like, medical research. And, like, you know, the planet fucking needs these things. Rather than just getting baked on them, like, we don't even know what the hell some of these things are going to do, right? So... So encouraging people to be able to take advantage of whether it's a loophole or just a slight gray area or whether that's the way it was intended, you know, fuck it. it like, it pushes everything forward, it right? It does, yeah. So as of 2014, um, my other company was getting bought on the computer Which security side. Oh, um, the, the quote-unquote the, real job? Yeah, yeah, the, the real job This was, sounds like a real job, too, though. No, no, we turned it into a real job, or we've tried yeah. anyway. It's, yeah. it's been a bitch, but... <laughs> um, but the the real job that I had before in the information security space that was getting acquired by um, a, another big capital firm and and that gave me as a working guy more money yeah. than I ever thought I was really going to make. Which in the bigger scheme of things, as far as starting companies, it was nowhere near enough money to start a company. But but I spent all my cash and started a CBD company yeah. before there were such thing as CBD companies. Wow. And and so then we basically coupled all the stuff we were doing on the consulting side on the THC stuff and helping these other states get their licensing programs in place and helping organizations get ramped up and then started our own CBD cultivation and then manufacturing side. So to your question, because this was a fucking eternally Wait, long I, answer I forgot this. what the question was. The question was about the, ex- back, the way it was the, extra- <laughs> the extraction Oh, yes, shit. now I remember. So, so we grew a bunch of CBD being like, oh, fuck yeah, everybody's going to need this stuff, yeah. right? Like it's going to save the world. And there was nobody to fucking buy it. Because there wasn't really an industry yet, right? Yeah, but dude, that shit's. And so then we started learning how to extract it because ultimately everybody needed oils and purified extracts from it. They weren't just buying biomass. Yeah. They they wanted you know crude oils. They wanted distillates. Then we started learning how to make you know isolates and doing you know uh, crystallization purifications and and you know recrystallization purifications by learning organic chemistry techniques that kind of led us down a path of you know basically having small pilot plant level, you know, extraction systems um, to be able to take in biomass, um, extract that in for its essential oils. It's a lot like what you would do for the hops industry or for the perfumery industry. Or with um, cannabis. Yeah, or with cannabis, right? And so we were able to apply what we had learned from, um, you know, hash making, right, which was much smaller and boutique scale where we're, you know, crashing out and making, you know, THCA diamonds and, and stuff at this point, and then separate, separating, you know, terpene fractions and then adding those terpene fractions back at certain ratios back over the THCA. Like we were taking those techniques and applying them to what we were doing on the hemp and CBD side and vice versa, right? Like I learned um, crystallization purification on the CBD side first. Crystallization purification. God damn, that's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's and every OCHEM student, you know, at least that's going through it, you know, to a, you know, actually getting a degree in OCHEM. I think anyway. What's I, OCHEM? So some organic chemistry student will be like, "Fuck, no, you, they don't do that." Did you until have a wherever. background in this before? No, no, my so background's you, in music. Actually, I took. No, a, that I have makes a degree sense. In, I have a degree sense. in um, in music, and then a, a minored in business, and then uh, guitar performance. Oh man, sure. that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. And then went to the computer stuff and then cannabis and then, I, you know, but organic chemistry, you can kind of learn on YouTube yeah. and reading fucking, you know, books. There's books on, you know, from the lab manuals from like MIT and a couple other schools that you can get online. 
and then just start going through the labs, right? When you learn how to distill orange rinds as, you know, a terpene solvent and you learn how to do that steam distillation in one of the labs and you just buy the gear and fucking do it. And then it's like, well, wait a second. So if I can do it like this, you know, the terpene, you know, delimonene comes off of the orange rinds and delimonene is one of the terpenes found in cannabis. And you can just start applying everything over. There are several labs that teach you about crystallization solvents on YouTube that you can just kind of go through the steps. And then, you know, just your impure solution in this case is hash oil. And what you're trying to isolate out are your cannabinoids and you can start applying those same techniques and, you know, and be able to end up with really pure, you know, cannabis drugs that at the cannabis end, drugs at the end of the day you get to consume <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Right. So it makes for fun experimentation. Okay. And that's where we started learning how to do like nano encapsulation and micro encapsulation stuff, which led to the whole bong appetite episode where I was doing like some of the food science stuff yeah. using, you know, spherification techniques. Cause essentially the same application of food science to organic chemistry as you know vice versa this episode you i've probably you probably hit me off with more scientific terms and big words than any episode ever but it's about we're talking about we're talking about cannabis here too so anybody who thinks weed is on some dumb shit obviously doesn't doesn't really know what's going on and uh you you said something back there you know we were talking about your background for this because it sounds like to do this and to be as as deep in it as you would you would need some kind of background in this, but you have a music background, which makes complete sense to me. Now I figure you had at least an unofficial one, but it's interesting. The interesting thing about Dave is, is uh, aside from his uh, his realm of the cannabis business, which he occupies so steadily, Stuart has like a Cinderella story about. Basically, I know Dave from working uh, with Slayer on tour. That's where we are right now. We're not in Colorado or L.A. We're in fucking San Antonio, Texas. We're actually right in front of the Alamo. We are in front we of are. the Alamo. We can literally spit on the Alamo <laughs> if these windows open. They don't let you open windows in hotels anymore. They don't want people killing themselves. Try to commit suicide. It's not the place in the fucking hotel. Anyway, so Dave and I met. When he was we wouldn't spit on the Alamo if there's any Texans, right? He'd throw a rock and hit the yeah. Alamo. That's what he really meant. Exactly. That's yeah. what I would do. We wouldn't spit on you. Um, <laughs> but Dave, Dave came on tour. With Slayer a year ago, and, and he he had the title of uh, well, tell me what was your, what was your title, original title? I was the uh, weed tech. Weed tech, like you know, on tour there's a guitar tech, there's drum tech, there's people that are technical support for certain things, and he came in on the ganja side, and he was fucking awesome at it, killing it, definitely the best weed tech ever. But then what happened? <laughs> Something happened, dude. So uh, you came out just to bring some fucking tasty snacks of ganja. So yeah, like I mean, the original uh, I. Even so at the real job that I got sold and then starting this job, like I hadn't taken a vacation in 16 plus years and um, tour manager had lost his dad in a similar situation, just overwork, massive amounts of stress. And was just like, dude, you got to take a break. And he and I had a great relationship and had been buddies for a while. And I was like, great. Like, let me just come out to a couple of shows. And, and then a couple of shows on the first run turned into the rest of the tour and, and officially took the role as the weed tech. And so this year, was my new vacation and came out to chill and bring everybody goodies and make sure like, and promoting CBD along yeah, the way. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, a bunch of the older guys are into it for, and a bunch of the sober guys, you know, I mean, oh, it's yeah. just, it kind of, you know, crosses a lot of boundaries. And so anyway, uh, on leg one, the guitar tech for King shit. The bed. King. Um, yeah. Founder of Slayer. Yeah. Uh, founder with Jeff. Yeah. Anybody listening to that? Everybody yeah, knows. Yeah, some of these King people might not yeah. know, you know, I get listeners from all over yeah, the yeah. Google that dude. Yeah, like, he's a, he's, he basically he's a fucking legendary guitarist. Yeah, and so iconic, yes. right? Like iconic. iconic. So I've been watching 
I've been watching that dude play guitar since I was 12. So I've snapped my leg and skiing in Switzerland <laughs> when I was 12 and was in a hospital in the oh, um, in Lausanne and Aigle was where the hospital was down the mountain. Anyway, uh, they had some music video channel on and it was playing that Studio 54 performance that had like Anthrax and Slayer and a bunch of dudes. But Hello Aids comes on, right? And it opens with King fucking facing the marshals and just yeah. wailing on the whammy and shit. And, um, and I was just like, it was like my first year playing guitar and like I went and bought that album as soon as I got back to the States, right? So I've been listening to the dude play for fucking ever, right? And so the dude that was his tech was a new guy from at least from the 2017 tour yep. that we were out. And and he was fucking up for whatever reasons, right? Like mistakes I mean, get made. It's yeah, a tough gig. Yeah, out it's here. a tough gig. Like super intense, right? And um and you know, King's a buddy, and so I would be out to dinner and we, you know, he was venting about it a little bit, and I was like, dude, I I think I can do the gig, bro. <laughs> and he's like, can you keep it in fucking tune? Because that was the dude's issue before, right? And I'm like, yeah, like I know how to set up floating trims. But, you know, I mean, I'm really, I've, my focus has been more classical and flamenco guitar and stuff, but I used to be playing metal guitar all when I was a kid and, you know, through high school and shit and always had electric guitars around. And so anyway, I'm like, fuck yeah, I can fucking do it, right? Put me in, coach. <laughs> you are, yo, that's ballsy and ambitious, dude. It was, it, like, I'm so stoked that I did it at one, but, uh, like, there's been several points that I'm like, holy fuck, I'm when, way over my head. When like, I get myself Way, way over my head. Like, I'm by no means prepared for this. I am not qualified for this. Like, like the fucking other crew dudes are beating the shit out of me. Like, every fucking mistake I make, like, I feel like a fucking dick, man. So, like... <laughs> So like, and then, and then, you know, a bunch of the guys that give a shit about me are like, bro, I don't want you to do this because like, even if you're good at it, then you're going to fuck up your life. You're going to be, Sucks, I, yeah, they're like, dude. I'm going to see you out here in five years, fucking divorced. You fucked up all True. of your jobs and all the career shit True. that you had built. And you're just going to be fucked. Yeah, dude, yourself. I'm still out here. Like I fucking love it, bro. Like, and so, so they were trying to just save me the pain that was going to come along with it. Right. And, and I was like, fuck it, dude. And so like me and King, what ended it apparently because Warren's like, dude, I had you out, motherfucker. And then he came back one night and was like, what did you say to King? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, Mike sent me and King out to dinner by ourselves, and we were just shooting the shit and hanging out. And King's like, yeah, fuck it, put him in. And yeah. So, and I you was like, do it, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. So, awesome. so I stepped That's crazy. in. I stepped in. I knocked out like three and a half weeks, I think like 17 shows. Um, yeah. Jeff Cummings uh, from Sworn Enemy um, helped me on the first like six or seven. Um, as just like yeah. shadowing me all the way through, making sure I didn't fuck up. Still fucked up a couple times, dude. And like, I mean, dude, straight up, tough, like, dude. it's a tough gig. It's your first time doing it. Of course, it's gonna be some tough. And then us. they invited me out for second leg, so I've been doing it this whole time. Having a blast, dude. Yeah, he's out like, here doing it, teching, weed teching, and guitar teching. Yeah, it's been insane, right? It's like a huge opportunity to help a dude that I've looked up to, like my whole guitar playing career, it's and crazy you know, how working it happened, with a ninja level team and shit. Like, if, it's, it, like usually that that's not the process of how those positions get filled. You know, and if someone has ever let go, um, usually a production manager or or some of the other, you know, uh, maybe the other tech in the on the tour might have recommendations of people they reach out and stuff. And like you know, you have guitar background and stuff, and you're just right there, right time, right place. Dude, a living room it, guitar player getting to go up yeah, and man, do that in this crazy. situation I mean, is we're, fucking dude, absurd. We're, we're in some of these places where it's twenty four thousand people and ten, twelve, fifteen thousand people right there, and that's this is not what you were doing nine months ago. Dude, I've never done four, it. No, I'm four some of these guys ago. had to gradually get to this magical place. Dude. That's why I think your story is very—it's interesting to me, man. It's dude, like crazy. going up and even doing line check. Like seriously, it, it still makes me just absurdly giddy, right? I just was, like, hearing it the first time. And like you know, the first time I walked up, like 
I was just scared shitless, man. Like, the whole thing just had me fucking petrified. Like, just petrified. But, you know, what are you going to fucking do, man? Like, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. And you're getting to help, you know, those yeah. dudes throw off a kick-ass performance. And yeah, it's, and a, dude, it's amazing. As, as, as anxious as you probably are sometimes, but... That when it's done, it's like a super rush. You're like, Whoa. massive rush. Feeling it like just, oh man! Whoo. Even when he gives me like the the first guitar back and like and and I hit every string and it's still dead balls in tune after King's fucking wailing on it and shit. I'm like, oh dude, like it's so incredibly satisfying to like do that job well. Um, I think that's part of the what makes it so hard, right? Yeah. It's like the pressure building up to so it, and, and you work for eighteen hours to get up to that hour and a half, yeah. and anything can go wrong yeah, during that hour that, and a half. The most crucial, important <laughs> part is the, like the end of the night, yeah. Oh, except for loadout, so it's like you've been working all this time. It's yeah. a lot. It, it's a, a lot of stress for that one little part. And what do you think the most, the moment where you're the most nervous is it like the ten minutes before the set starts, or is it during it, or is it in the day? Or once the show starts, like, does the music so kind of like, click you into the zone like, then? There's, like, two parts. Um, right before he goes out, but so let me step back, because to understand where the other two parts are, like, you got to know where I fucked yeah. up on the first leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there was two instances, and we're doing so, so anybody out there that's, like, a living room guitar player, there's probably fucking shitloads of them, right? Um, you know, one of the things on the learning curve that was probably the steepest for me was the punching, like the switching between multiple guitars on the fly like that, right? And like yeah, between yeah, yeah, songs yeah. on these quick changes quick. because, you know, at home, even if you have multiple guitars and you have a decent little wireless system and you switch between them, which I do now, I've been, you know, I've been hooking up that rig since the last tour, but but it's new to me, right? Like it was not something I'd ever fucking seen before. And even, and nobody would have that kind of gear at home. Cause I looked up the prices. It's all like four or six grand for fucking wireless shit like that. Right. It's expensive. Yeah, that's price. So like people ain't going to have that shit for their living room. You just go up and you hit the fucking button and there's no pressure to the timing yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just uh, so I can take five fucking that. minutes switching that guitar if I want to. Right. That part is gone. And, and the, you also have to have them unplugged to tune them right because the one that's being performed on, you're tuning the other one and then you swap yeah. back on. Anyway, long story short, I left them unplugged on five, two different occasions. One very early into my career, show four, <laughs> maybe five, <laughs> right? What's, what city did you start in? Do you remember? I started in Detroit. So, okay, that would have been, we were probably in Montreal. It would have been Canada yeah, somewhere, Montreal, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, uh, and, and then I did, and I was like, "Oh my God, I'll never do that again, right?" And then I did it the very last show in the United States. <laughs> like I, I did it again. I got too comfortable and fucking just, you know, brain farted, right? Yeah. And the, and you know, it sucks because you unplug him to fucking tune it, and then you need to plug it back in. And I just, you know, I just fucking didn't. And what really sucks about it is your man walks out, yeah. and then and and King starts each one of these songs, yeah. right? And generally starts it alone, and then the yep. other guitar player pops in, right? So it's just dead silence, right? Like he comes out and it's. <laughs> Nothing, uh, right? And so, like, your heart fucking starts wow, pounding dude. out of your goddamn <laughs> chest. Like, like, that whole thing. So, yeah. right before the show starts, I'm definitely, like, tweaking. Did I get everything done? Am I checking this? I check this. I check this. And then as soon as you hear that first fucking chord hit, right, and everything's rolling, I settle down. And then on both of the songs that I did not have him plugged in on yeah. the first leg, my heart skips a couple of beats oh, right it's before. Just, it's like PTSD. Right before, <laughs> yeah, because I've, like, I've, I've rolled on the sound. It's I know he's PTSD. plugged in. I've like checked the switches and shit. I've rechecked it yeah. at least a dozen times before that chord hits. But until I hear that shit hit my ears, 
like I am freaking the fuck out the entire time. So, <laughs> so once I get through those, like it's a gravy train, right? Like I know the rest of the night's going to go well. He knows what the, I mean, fuck, he's been doing it 35 years, right? Yeah. So like he knows what he's doing way better than I do. And as long as I've, you know, started to get my fucking pulse down, then, you know, everything goes well. And the team helps me out like crazy. They give me tons of shit, but like that's they're oh, there I think if they didn't, the, it would be a bad sign. Yeah, you know what I mean? they're there like to help it. at the drop of a hat, right? Yeah. If anything goes wrong, like those dudes are. It's know, crazy because what you were just explaining, it, it speaks to like the sentiment of like okay, like the living room guitar player, who you know, it's you can as good as you are, as highly trained as you are. There's nothing like the moment when you're doing it live when there's this pressure that you can't practice up for. You can't practice for 15,000 people and the things that can go wrong, some shit flying up on stage, a rig, like some fucking, you know, stagehand ripping a plug out. Like, there's all these things that no matter what, you'll, no matter how good you are, you can't ever practice like that. And so it's like they really have to deal with it in the moment. It takes an extra seat level time, of right? skill, man. That's yep. the seat time kind of angle. Like, I mean, these guys that have been out here doing it forever... There's just no, like, you don't have to be a great guitar player. You don't have to know how to take the thing apart and do fret work and be a luthier and all that kind of shit, right? What you need to be able to be, pull this job off really is fucking experience, right? Yep. Understanding, like, what can go wrong, how to be able to mitigate it, like, yeah, being yeah, able yeah, to yeah. trace being that fucking that line. Absolutely not freaking the fuck out <laughs> and panicking, right? The panic part of it, when I first sent him out, and it was, you know, again, show four or five, something like that, when I sent him out and I heard nothing on my ears, like, my heart just, yeah. like, <laughs> I, bet, I thought dude. I was going to pass the fuck out, right? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> At least Lock by the last knees. show when I left him, like, he he fucked with me. Like, he was swinging the fucking dangling cable at me and oh, shit like funny. a burlesque dancer, right? It was embarrassing as fuck for me, but it was cool between us, right? Yeah, like, yeah. it wasn't like I felt like I was going to, you know, collapse on the floor. It, it builds a rapport in a way, too, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's crazy, man. There was dead silence, though, for a fucking solid 30 seconds with 15,000 people out there and it was totally my fault. Do you try to like uh, not partake in cannabis products prior to working on that stuff? Yeah, I can't, or? which is weird for me, right? Because I smoke out exactly. all the time and now, you know, most of the day, I mean, at least from 10 a.m. on, like, you know, we may have a wake and bake joint yeah. or something, right? But like... Yeah, no, I know, I could do that. Just show show it until 9 p.m. and shit, right? Like, yeah. yeah, leading up into that, I'm not getting baked at all. Here's what was funny, though, is... <laughs> Uh, I had my the replacement um, Bubs is coming in and he was doing the last show and then right before the show he was like dude I'm not necessarily comfortable with doing all the punches man are you cool with doing that oh and I no just you've been, been getting... so high all day like, like so oh, high and I was like oh man yeah That's dude funny. I'll do it <laughs> and so and just so everybody knows right the punches are actually doing the switches of clean yeah. to dirty and like actually hitting basically hitting the pedals for you know the guitar player that's out there performing so it's Pretty mission critical, yeah. but I just—I was just like, yeah, dude, I fucking got this, because like I know those songs. I've been just listening to those songs for thirty like some that. odd years, right? And like, and I've been doing those punches now for, for thirty nights or yeah. so, right? I was like, yeah, dude, I got this. And so he had to worry about still doing all the guitar changes and all the tunings and all the shit that's actual work during that. And for three songs, I just got to make sure that King's, you know, changes were tight. I was like, oh, dude, I could do this every night, man. Yeah, like, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like anytime you guys need me to come in and hit a couple buttons, oh, like man. I'll be there. <laughs> you you do you use the CBD stuff yourself or you, or not you really? know I stay pretty cannabinoid yeah rich all the time <laughs> uh, so I'll take the CBD pills more like a uh, just like a you know omega supplement fish oil supplement kind of thing does it do more, the same 
Oh yeah, well we so the pills that we make in the gel caps are yeah, actually the one, I have some of those ones. Yeah, yeah, those are in a hemp seed oil carrier that are full of omegas, oh, just shit. like fish oil. So oh, fuck it's, yeah, and then you're not burping up fish oil, and yeah. you get CBD. So yeah. I I treat it more like a preventative rather than you know there's an issue I'm trying to cure. Or, I use the ones know. those ones you're talking about. I use those uh, like for anxiety and stuff like that. It just keeps me mellow. Yeah, or I'm anticipating a stressful day or something. Yeah, I I actually used. A spray that you, I think I got from you maybe last year, uh, like a topical spray, which is good. I mean, I like CBDs for for sore pains. I know, I think I've heard you describe like that. A lot of people who are heavy CAC consumers, myself included, like tend not to just go to the CBDs as much because our tolerance is so shot. And I notice when I do want to use CBDs, I fucking gotta take a lot of them, and they're not cheap yeah. at the store. Yeah, they're not it's cheap. And I'm like, God damn, dude! Like, some we're actually my, knocking you know, that shit down. Too. My, like, oh. I'm starting to work with another they manufacturer are, that is gonna. Why um, is it? Is it? I tripping? Is it more expensive than like what THC edibles would be? No, it's about well. So about it depends. In Cali, actually, it is more expensive in Cali. That's where I. That's where I buy it all. So. And then now it's because so California, um, California Department of Public Health just uh, released a thing about CBD on um, being able to so. Cali's always leaned heavily towards the federal government, weirdly, right? Because Cali's yeah. like very against federal government on some shit and willing to fucking battle it out. But when it comes to CBD and hemp, they just bow down and suck Ranged. dick all day That's long, right? Real weird. So they just passed a thing or made an announcement that um, no CBD can be used in food products. And what? Yeah. So because there's the FDA, like restaurants and bars. And yeah, shit because because the restaurants the and bars were all starting to put CBD, yeah. like the bars where you yeah, could get in your coffee places. and shit and get it in your liquor drink or whatever. Yeah, yeah they wanted all that to stop huh. because the FDA doesn't actually have it approved as a food ingredient, right? So they nixed the that, FDA. and then they are not wanting if you're going to use it in a cannabis product that's on the shelf at the dispensary, it has to come through the seed to sale system. They're not allowing CBD to be imported from hemp crops. A la from Oregon or Colorado or Tennessee. So or you Kentucky can't bring that would prevent you from bringing CBDs you from your companies into at least California. to use it in edible products, right? Even so, if it was going to a dispensary edible, correct? Products. Because they really? want that to all come through the BCC regulated shit now, which just basically come up. from their own because, state, though. Well, that then requires the licensed cannabis producers to grow the CBD crops, which they don't really do. That's the reason that we did what we did mm. in 2014, because yeah. it costs so fucking much to produce a gram of CBD in a regulated market, to where it's like, well, dude, CBD should be what just grown the by benefit, the fucking acre. Who's benefiting from that? Is the state of California benefiting from that? Somehow? No, I, you know, I, it's unclear. There's just still man. some old, like, fucking archaic laws going yeah, on. Yeah, and there, then right? laws have to change, right? Until the feds come and say, okay, yes, CBD and hemp and when all this we, stuff. When is do you legit. think we're going to see that? Uh, is it this just year, more actually. and more states? You think we're going to see the Fed say? I think the hemp thing is going to change this year. The hemp the, the, CBD. This next election cycle or this year? This year. That's my prediction. Something's going to happen this year. I think it's what actually going to go. So here's the weird part, right? It's like it'll go for the better in the sense that I think they're going to clean up some of the ambiguity on CBD and hemp and how all that's going to really work. But I think that will be a negative in some ways for businesses like ours that, you know, really have operated. The reason that we were able to start a company on so little money and be as, you know, marginally successful as we have been is is based on that ambiguity, right? Is that you don't have 
large-scale farming and agricultural manufacturers out of Iowa for cranking up their farms for 10,000 acres of CBD hemp right now because it's not exactly legal to do. There's not exactly like automated infrastructure behind uh. planting and harvesting and all these other things, right? It also allows a small manufacturer to, like us to be creative, right? I can sit in the lab and come up. I mean, fuck, I got like 23 different SKUs on our SKU list of just, you know, everything from like lotions and those skin sprays to like you know, sugar scrubs and bath bombs and like tincture drops and gel capsules and all kinds of different shit, right? And the reason I can be creative and get in there and be able to build that kind of stuff on a smaller budget is because I'm not competing against fucking Bayer, right? Or Johnson & Johnson or Coca-Cola, mm. right? Like once those kind of companies can step in and really start playing yeah, the game, yeah, it becomes get, almost impossible It's almost going to monopolize it, yeah. You got it. Like, they're, they're just going to eat up mom and pop, right? They're going to destroy companies like us, right? Like their buying power destroys what I can buy. Their manufacturing power destroys what I can manufacture. And are they going to make it all Monsanto-style shit? Probably. Quality's going to go down. It's going to be an inf- unfortunate reality to watch evolve. And then but do you think that's going to drive people, some consumers who, who care about quality, back to the black market purchases? Well, I mean, I don't know if CBD was never a black market That's thing, right, right? Yeah, so like, how, how does that develop? Maybe there's like, you know, kind of the same organic movement behind it, and you want the small mom and pop farms that are in kind of a, yeah, you know, yeah. a farm Boutique collective that, yeah, that goes into a certain amount of product sets where those but product sets always buy, you know, local type product. I mean, uh, you know, we have to look at how other markets have developed at that point, which is, you know, for guys like us, it's you know, intimidating, right? Because we've never operated in that kind of world yeah. and and that's where that's going to go and I think we're going to see that go there in the next 24 months. And what, why, what leads, you just think it's going to happen in that time period because that's just where it's been building up to or yeah. is there any... I uh, think the market is already growing so much to where like... It is going fucking even, fast, Right? Dude. And even fucking out here fast. on this tour, dude, like everybody... How many little cities and towns have CBD things in them? Everyone wants them. Everybody fucking wants all, them. Like, especially when you made a point about all the, the, the a lot of the sober guys who don't or people who are not even sober, maybe they drink or whatever else they do, but they don't smoke weed. There's dudes they that are straight it. up sober oh, out yeah, here that are taking it. it because their fucking legs hurt and their yeah, knees dude, hurt, their joints hurt. And old like dudes been rocking out for a long the, time. And there's, you know, I mean, they like, you know, one of the singers hit his sponsor and the guy was like, dude, CBD is the fucking truth, man. Yeah. Like, get on that shit. It's great for, I just, it helps my stress out a lot better than anything. Because sometimes smoking some nice indicas can... Be good, and sometimes it can make my stress worse, depending on. But the CBDs just kind of keep me mellow for the day, like a preventative, like you said. If I take them in the day, I find myself getting stressed less, you know? Not like playing ketchup, like, oh, man, I need to take a CBD. I'm stressed out. I mean, the amazing thing, right, is, like, kids that are having hundreds of seizures yeah, and shit. And fuck. then they don't, and, like, it saves their fucking life. And, yeah. you know, this is a plant that we all risked our lives to be able to grow. And yeah. then, you know, you're able to save somebody else, else's it, life with it is, you know, it's fucking been kept impressive. To- kept from at least American people for a long time through all these kind of bullshit laws that were, you know, propped up by... I don't know if you ever listened to Joe Rogan podcast and uh, it's funny because he always talks about like the William Randolph Hearst paper companies putting like the laws against the hemp thing and like (laughs) saw some shit the other day where he brings it up every time. This is no shot at Joe Rogan or his podcast. It's a great program. I fucking love it. But he brings this up all the time when they talk about like weed legalization and cannabis and hemp. And how Willie Randolph Hearst and the paper companies were scared because, you know, hemp was a superior product. And so he basically had lobbyists a lot. But this dude, Joe Rogan, brings that shit up like every episode. And some dude edited like a YouTube clip of it. All like, <laughs> Willie, it's fucking hilarious. Well, he gets a lot of that shit from uh, Jack Herrett, right? Jack was the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence the strain of ganja. Yeah, they named, yeah, Cincy Seeds named that for him. Or Drunkers and those guys named it for yeah. Jack uh, back in the 90s. And, um, 
but Jack, you know, was he wrote the book The Emperor Wears No Clothes and and that's what had a bunch of the original kind of media around Hearst and oh. um the original guy from the DEA and shit. Let's see, Dave dropping Dave Bonvillain dropping some historical factual knowledge. Yeah, Jack died several years ago. He was a good dude. He was actually out there on Venice Beach. He would sit and preach that shit on oh, yeah? a little booth on Venice Beach in the in the nineties and eighties. Oh shit, dude. I gotta connect with you when you come out to Cali for any of your business ventures, man. I uh I love I get a lot of love on all the Chiba Chews uh apparel and things that and uh, we, we, like for dude, instance, Chiba's the fucking shit, Ch- Chiba man. Chiba Chews like, is great. It's a great <laughs> brand and Dave has worked with them and um They've been kind enough to provide uh, people on the Slayer crew with all kinds of goodies and gifts and apparel. So we're in fucking Arkansas yesterday. Not even Little Rock. We're in like, like I don't even know where. Rogers, Arkansas. Pretty rural. And there's this fucking old guy. And he has all his teeth and shit. He's, he doesn't look too crazy. But he's like, man, I love those things. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, points to my shirt. I forgot I had a Chibichu shirt on. And I'm like, I didn't think they had it. I don't know what the laws are in Arkansas, but I imagine they're archaic as fuck. Yeah, they ain't legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this guy definitely been chewing some Chiba Chews. I was like, good for you. Then some other woman looks up to me. So the shirt, the Chiba, I have a couple different ones. Thank you, Dave. It's America's favorite edible, man. One of the good. shirts says choose wisely, but they spell choose like C-H-E-W-S, like the Chiba Chews, like the brand. So this woman looks at me and she's like, choose what? And I was like, huh? This little Southern, like 55-year-old, like vent staff woman. She's like, Choose what? What are you choosing wisely? And I'm like, oh god, the shirt again. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, whatever I want. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't want to try to explain to her. She wouldn't have got it. Sweet lady, I should have just given her one. Boom, here you go. Chew that. Give uh, her a CBD chew. Yeah, that's what. That's we'll true. get her all right. Yeah, she'll be straight. Just give her one to everyone's. Oh, yeah, I those ate guys it. have been taking care of us for a while. Like, I'm, yeah, I knew the uh, great the company. Owner Shout right. out to Chiba Chews. Yeah, before they had started, and they uh, they're out in Cali. I think they are open in uh, Vegas now too. So they're in Nevada. Um, they're working their way up the coast. So does all the, like for a company like them, all the stuff they use for their, for their concentration, for their edibles rather, is it all coming from? So we make all the CBD going in all In Colorado? CBD. No, no. We make all the CBD going in there, choose across the board. So where it okay. has to come in Cali regulated, we go out and source it there, make it there, bring it to them, um, make all their stuff in Colorado. Um, Nevada doesn't have the same, you know, type of regulation yeah. on it and all that sort of shit. Actually, we're looking at, you know, we're all talking about ways to be able to get the CBD Chiba Chews national um, so that everybody can enjoy those nationwide. Yeah. Those CBDs, I mean, not, not CBD, Chiba Chews edibles, whether they're the CBDs, the one-to-ones, the THE ones, what I like about them, they're very accurate. I think everyone gets apprehensive with edibles, especially people who don't eat them a lot, about how it's going to kick in, when it's going to kick in. Is it going to be too much? Am I going to freak out? That's why the good thing about fucking you know, dispensaries for these kind of people Provides like very important information about milligram dosages and quantities, but I like I always know when I get Chiba Chews, it's going to be exactly what it says on the package. Sometimes things, rarely are things over, but sometimes things are under. You know, some companies you get in here like, huh, I feel that. But Chiba Chews is always fucking dead on. Cali's fixing that now too, though. I mean, you're buying most of your shit in Cali, and so like yeah. now with the new Cali regulations, everybody has to get everything tested yeah. as of July first. And that's what it was the- a lack of regulation before that would lead to that. 100%. Yeah. So even up to July 1st in California, they were allowing um, the old inventory to get, you know, chewed up through the mm. dispensaries and everything. So as of July 1st, everything had to get fully tested. Everything was run through the metric how, uh, tracking. How long system. does it take to, to like get to test something to test the potency of something like that? Like the results. How long do results take in a lab? Uh, generally three or four days before you get them back. So, but the way that they test them now is everything goes to a distributor. 
right? So the actual manufacturer, you can do your own in-house third-party testing, which you know most manufacturers do, just so that just you don't to get be, fucked. Yeah, yeah, right. So once you it goes to the distributor, but then you go to the distributor, and the distributor under camera has somebody from the testing lab come and do a random sampling of the batch. So they'll have a batch, you know, in several boxes or whatever, and they test a handful through the box, depending on how how big the batch is, mm. determines how much testing they do, you know, across how many samples. They take all those samples back, homogenize them, run their testing and analytics against pesticides, potency, et cetera, et cetera. Potency has to be within a certain range, labeled exactly what it is on the package. If there's any pesticides in it, it gets yanked. The whole batch then has to go back and either get remediated the whole batch. or destroyed. Yeah, 100%, because you don't know which. Yeah, uh-huh, like if there was yeah, one that was bad and one that true, wasn't, true, true. right? Like, nobody fucking knows because they randomly sampled through the whole thing. Then it goes back to the manufacturer, either for mitigation. You have to have a full mitigation plan. You have to provide that to the BCC to show them what you did so you can't just, you know. Boot camp quick? BC, nothing. Don't worry. It's a joke. So, so let me ask you this, David. Let me ask you this, Dave. What... If you were to pick up, say, a cartridge that goes to, like, ganja pens, right? CBD, THC, doesn't matter what it is. You couldn't tell what it is right then. You couldn't even tell if it was THC or CBD or fucking tobacco or anything right there. You'd have to send it to a laboratory, right? Yeah, or smoke it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, for anybody that was perhaps going through the airport and, you know, their bag was randomly selected and inspected, and they happen to have, like, a cartridge. Could someone, they, would they have to send that shit to a lab before they could actually tell you if it was THC in there? Pretty much. So you'd have a three- or four-day waiting period before they could even get you in trouble for that. So yeah, they, I mean, unless there's, like, some THC field test kit or something. Yeah, shit, that's why right? I didn't know. Or do you think the guy hits you? Hold on, TSA to go. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you're fucked, dude. That, one, <laughs> that one's CBD. Let him go. <laughs> I was, because, I mean, you can't. Smell it like if, the, if there's no strong terps in it, really. Right, yeah, because the dogs trigger off of specific terpenes too, right? So there's also you can the- take the ones with no terps. Theoretically, you could have just have a pure distillate cart that has I'd zero terps in it. I actually don't mind that. I've smoked a lot of good right. stuff with no terps. Yeah, and you know, theoretically, a dog. Now, I mean, somebody needs a drug dog to test that. Yeah. But drug dogs trigger off a of beta caryophylline, which is a type of terpene that's in cannabis plants. It's what gives like the sour D kind of. Mm. The, it's sour know, D actually has a lot of beta caryophylline. Sour diesel was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts. Along with basketball. Yeah. My father was born in Springfield. Yeah. It was a Jake the Snake fun fact. That would have been mass super skunk, quote unquote, by oh. the by the Chem ninety one. See, I like this. I like Dave got all the fucking but ganja. It wasn't shit. really mass super skunk, right? Because that was skunk VA. I don't know all you, this is above my ganja knowledge. Oh dude, this is all Chem Dog family shit. I don't right? know all this shit. I've smoked a lot of weed and I know some <laughs> I know some other things about the business, but I don't know it to this degree. So yeah. Chem Dog is Chem Dog was popped in nineteen ninety one from handful of seeds that were shipped out from Colorado, but originally from Gons that was brought in from Cali. There's a whole fucking, like, myth about this shit on the interwebs, but interwebs but, but ChemDog popped the seeds, and the 91 we still grow today, and then there was three or four others that came out of that original batch, and that 91 got crossed with Skunk VA's his mass super skunk, which was really uh, the Virginia super skunk, but whatever he had brought it up to mass, and then uh-huh. there was a cross of those, and that made the sour diesel, and you know several of the other world's See, finest genetics. You know, what what's your what do you what's your favorite shit to smoke right now? What do you what's awesome right now? I mean, I I still like the Chem ninety one. It's like a classic go to for you. Yeah, we. I mean, it's just strong as balls, right? And it's fuely and funky, right? And like it never really mm. gets. Old, but I like some racy sativas and shit too. Do you? Like rare dankness of Somali taxi like ride. Like that's the day? 
Oh yeah, love them all day, man. I could say, yeah, yeah. So the Somali taxi ride that Scott Somali made. taxi ride yeah. has got to be one so of the best. So he actually names. just started like making some new seeds of that because there was only like a pack or so of them left. So he's got a bunch of new hybrids of that Somali taxi. It's real racy. A uh, racy like fucking five it's shots like of espresso in the month. Oh yeah, dude. Doing like blow working. Hey, what do you guys want to do? You want to go get some pizza? I don't know. I'm kind of high too. I think I. It's that one, man. Yeah. Like my boys hate it though. My boys are all OG guys, right? Yeah. And so it's all OG Kush all day. It's like a fucking like the fog's rolling in in the morning yeah. when you smoke and that. That's tough. You can't do a lot on that. That's like good. Uh, you're hungover. It's raining outside, or you got to yes. bus rides. But we're like rides. these dudes want to go out and work on a farm yeah, and I shit. Cannot and do that. Like, I would take hard the race for that. Yeah, I'll, I think if like I have a Gracie Bud, take like a bong rip of Gracie Bud during like a show day, working, I can still get shit done. Takes a little of the edge oh, off. See, like working on King's guitars. If we had the Somali out here, I could fucking blow on that all day long, man. But like smoking some heavy chem, like oh, dude, I just want to go take a nap and dab Afghanistan. <laughs> dab, that's what we call stage right.